0: The very rules of evil, of negativity, and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is how can change the whole okay. okay. state of things in of violence without object This is the typical violence of. violent because what happens is murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding
1: here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour. I am your host, as always, Cooper Cherry. We are sponsored by the People's Institute for Revolutionary Semiotics. Before we get going with today's guest, just want to throw out, I do have a Patreon at patreon.com. Forward slash M-U-H-H. If you're enjoying the podcast, definitely consider throwing me a dollar or so a month. This episode, I have Taylor Atkins joining me. We're going to consider this sort of a wicked leotard b-side. Uh, we do cover a lot of the same ground, although um, a lot less rigorously here. But uh, this is sort of an open format conversation Taylor and I had. If you're not familiar with Taylor, he has done translations of Felix Guattari's Machinic Unconscious. He's also done... Philosophy and non-philosophy by François Larouelle and then Gilbert Simondon as well. But here is our chat that covers Leotard, Baudrillard, even Don DeLillo. Enjoy.
2: You know, in the Nietzschean amor fati kind of stuff, right? Like right. Love, love of fate. So yeah, that's that's actually a good way to put it. I, you know, when I first, my old professor goes by Max, real Max Castle, on here. Oh you yeah. See, okay. I don't see I don't see, him, I don't see him as much anymore, but um. I think probably. they might follow me. I'm sure they do. I, you know, probably about two years ago, they kind of got me into Twitter, and well, that's not fair. I, I mean, I really got into Twitter because of Theory Talk, but he got me into the philosophy side. the The UAC, it was called Cave Twitter at the time, which is oh, kind no. of like Max I mean,
1: Castle, Commissioner of Sewers. That guy.
2: He changes his fucking thing all the time, but uh, at at Real Max Castle is is his at. He changes that. He follow me. Sh- he's, he's not really on Twitter anymore. I, I mean, like, but when I first joined, I guess I joined in 2016, because that's when um, that's really when Joe and I started recording. Uh, he got me into cave Twitter was what it was called. Um, and it was it was it was mostly like what you see today. It was kind of landians and CCRU shit and all that. Yeah, And I kind of tend to really made friends with these people because that's, I wasn't going to read land and shit. You know, I was just going to, like, yeah, Deleuze quattro Quatre, you guys. Yeah.
1: right. The functionality of the markets has been something I've been thinking about a lot is it doesn't work in determining value. Like at that, it's going to fail. Hmm. Uh, and then there's the whole like irrationality of individuals. But as an aggregate, do they make, tend to make rational decisions in terms of market? But like I've said, you know, (coughs) a number of times, like if you look at something like Twitter, it underscores the failure of market, right? Mm, Especially mm -hmm, in -hmm. the context of the blue checks, which are sort of the capital class or like the people that operate, you know, the levers of whatever the means of production, whether that be finance or, you know, however you want to designate that is sort of irrelevant. But whatever (coughs) class is operating at that level
2: of capital. I mean, it's, it is interesting, just... The fact that check marks exist anymore, I only say that because they still have this outdated, I say outdated, but, you know, this this kind of outdated um, function of authentication. Right, or, gatekeeping. Or, right, or, yeah, exactly. And I but mean, they've undermined
1: their own, now if you look at, so, or so many of the blue check mark accounts that I run across are
2: often reactionary. So
1: that's many. interesting. I mean, like today,
2: the the the... I, mean, I don't even, right. I, don't even know if that shit was, I don't even know if that's real or what it sounds like just nick land if you just cut to the heart of nick land that's basically what it is right just uh the, just the, if you just cut to the racist heart i guess i should be fair and like nothing else then yeah that's that's the bean dad guy i i don't know if that's real or i just i just saw some posts about it and read a couple of tweets and i was like uh Okay, that's today's discourse. Oh, that's fine. The main I mean, char- it's fine. The main character of Twitter today. Yeah, I had right. some good ones. I had a uh, Mr. Gorbachev, yeah. open these beans. Open these beans. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually good. I, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of it. I just, uh, but you do see all kinds of check. I mean, like for example, the most famous checkmark still. You have to give it to him. It's fucking Trump, right? Very true. I woke up late, obviously, but I was thinking. Like, oh, man, I never fucking tweet about Trump. And is that good? It's probably a good thing. Honestly, dude, it's probably a fucking good thing. That market is saturated? Oh, that market is totally saturated. You're right. There's supply demand is not, you know, it's out of sync. It's too much supply. Um, But I think I tweeted something like, this Trump guy, I guess, it's like, I'm starting to think this Trump guy is president. I I said something like that, something stupid. It was just throwaway because it was more... Because on my news feed, it was more stuff about him trying to fuck with Georgia and get Georgia overturned for him and stuff. And it's like, I, I, I'm honestly like, and this is this is part of the hyperstition or just like crazy craziness of the times. Like, I don't so much of me feels it's all a grift. Right. But this man has dementia. He's crazy. He's fucking he, he does. Actually, those conspiracy theories that he touts isn't just a grift. Right. So there is a part of him. That at least believes the bullshit he's spouting and and so it's 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 really it's really like what do you call it wag the dog shit right it's hard it's hard to and it doesn't matter his intentionality i guess it's just there is that trump that i think does believe this conspiracy theory that has no merit whatsoever
1: i don't know about himself he's too opaque to right it's true. impossible you'd have to like know how do you get on the inner side of that guy and what his interior life is like i mean true who fucking
2: knows true yeah i guess it's less when i try to think about him it's less try to think about less like him because he is such a character Mm -hmm. and more about the like the little swarming functionaries that made trump quote-unquote president and now who keep the presidency going you know what i mean like the jared kushners and fucking shit right like the yes. <clears throat> the little puppeteers and stuff they're really dangerous and gross ones because i think that without them trump is is all sizzle no steak um they give him the little bit of steak that he has anyway i know i didn't mean i'm to talking to about trump shit i am just i'm i'm kind of tired of him that's all i guess that's all i'm i'm like i'm still like reading him trying to fuck with the election i'm like just go fuck away just yeah. go away just yeah, just i mean shut up i don't even i don't care who Right, president
1: is at this point.
2: I feel you on that. I just, I just don't think we should keep going down this road where it's like all normal. you know what I mean. The shit that he's doing and the shit that the Republicans are doing. I mean, I, I told someone the other day. Somebody came to my house out of state trying to be like, "Hey, vote, vote in the runoff for the Republican senators." And I said, "No." I said, "Republicans have never done shit for me in my whole life."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I said, I, "I said you, you should go back to your state." Don't worry about Georgia. And I don't wish you a bad day, but Republicans need to get the fuck out of out of Congress. They've done nothing but bullshit. Now, if he would have stayed, I would have told him some of the same I had the same feelings about Democrats too. It's just right. I feel the stuff about Republicans a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like it's which is why which is why we get along because because we both kind of feel like that 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 you know it's I don't know. I, I'm. Sh- I think you're farther to the whole, you know, fatalist shit than I am. I'm still kind of like, can we please have some decency? And you're like, nah, dude. You know, like tear down. More like the Titanic has hit the iceberg and mm. we're taking on water. Right. Right. So so we need to get the and we don't even have lifeboats, right? We just have right. to kind yeah. of. Yeah. We have to make music as as it. As exactly. It goes down. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea, I mean, and I don't know. I mean this is kind of the heart of the matter. For me is it's funny. there are parts of me that that totally vibe with that and and so holding on to like these this shit about like norms and decency and stuff, which is not the only reason to oppose Trump. but like you know, when I bring that stuff out, which is laughable because because yeah. I'm not gonna have, you no know, I'm not gonna have children. We we still may adopt. That'd be great at one, at one right. point. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not sure if you've thought about having having children of your own. So it is this interesting thing where like where you and I our investments a little bit, have yeah. have a different flavor than the normal quote unquote normal reproducing yeah. masses. Right. Yeah. I don't think I can afford. Even if I wanted to, I
1: couldn't afford to t- yes. take care of a kid. No, I'm, and I that's, barely
2: take care of myself. Right. I agree. And I, I wholeheartedly am with you on that. I mean, whether it be financially or psychologically. Yes. Speaking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the same with like me and me and my wife is like, you know, we do so much for each other. I'm not saying that I like I think that since dad's passed, like financially, we could eventually do that like realistically hey let's adopt I've considered though I have thought about even if I've remained <clears throat> single to adopt a child
1: perhaps but like an older kid or so, I don't you know I don't know sure
2: yeah that's good I mean like and you know what's interesting is for the most part the older you get the it's you know your your chances start to dwindle right of being either adopted or whatever instead of yeah. just being thrown around into foster foster homes and stuff so that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, it's
1: like at what age can you still make an impact without them being like having such trauma from the system? True. That's a good upon point. And all of that is the question, I guess. Or perhaps that shouldn't come into it, but whatever. I mean,
2: no, no, no. I mean, you know, it's, it's, being
1: re- it's being realistic.
2: Um, it it, it whether, is. And then, whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's not something that I think about every day. It really isn't. It's It's like one of the furthest things from my mind. And, um, you know, but it's, but it, but it gets back to kind of what I was saying. It's this question of, so when, when you and I, when, when we like invest libidinally and it obviously it happens behind our backs, it's not, there's not just conscious interest. There's, you know, obviously unconscious investments. And, and when we, when we do that, we're not necessarily following the same meta narrative of of like we're gonna have kids and we're right. gonna fuck them up like our parents fucked us up you know like that's that's part of there's so much in the um in that larkin poem they fuck you up your mom and dad they fuck you up they really do right like that's that's the just of the poem basically that's the opening lines and and so when you don't when you when you're not investing in that next generation and thinking about that you aren't necessarily your 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 sense of like temporality and your sense of what you leave right to uh to the next generation it's different yeah and um i'm not saying that's good or bad because you need both you need to you need to have that distance but you also need to have that like hey let's keep this crazy dance going and who knows if we will i mean this is part of the reality of climate change and why it's overwhelming to even consider individually and it's easier to just repress and deny yeah on an individual level because well fuck it i'll be dead you know that's part of like that's part of the nihilism of not even thinking about it when there is so much incontrovertible as evidence that shit is accelerating right Whether it be temperatures or storms or, you know, weather patterns and crazy shit. I mean, that shit is accelerating in a bad way. And then you have so many of the scientists who are like, hey, we should have started 10 years ago and done everything. And then maybe we would have probably still fucked up. But hey, let's, you know, there's that whole thing where it's like we need to like do extreme solutions now. And of course, the engines of capital are just like and and the individual minds just like, well, fuck it. Just go going, make a profit, and who cares? It'll work out. God's got stuff in control. Like what's the fucker from Oklahoma, Senator Inhofe, bringing a snowball into the Congress? See, God's God's protecting us. You know that shit. It's yeah. It's wild. So, like
1: in the notion of any trying to, I guess you've heard with uh, the hedge mm. mentioning electric cars and the investment and the amount of extraction and what you know what I mean. Resource and labor extraction to make possible a fleet of electric cars that would still run on a presumably fossil fuel based electric grid. So it's like, you know, let's say we can bootstrap our way to 100 percent renewable, the, mm-hmm, amount of, mm-hmm. the amount of labor value that has to get uh, get abstracted, as well as the, you know, again, Even in that scenario, the resources it takes and the heat that that causes and generates, et cetera, et cetera. So then you begin to see the magnitude. And this is where maybe this unconditional accelerationist viewpoint, it's like, well, there aren't any great solutions for reducing our carbon footprint that don't also... Result in global economic collapse and the consequences of that, which I don't think people quite consider when even you're taking a look at degrowth and so forth. Fascinating. Uh, As an example, if you wanted to rid yourself of, you have to understand the, in terms of empire and military spending, right? The amount that we spend on the military around the world is sort of a requirement for capitalism to function as it does. We removed that consumption and production tied to military spending For one, strategically, does that create a vacuum in which another capitalist state steps in to fill our right so there's like that potentiality as as far as that goes but there's also we can't replace that much domestic consumption. there's not a big enough consumer market. To replace those trillions of dollars that are spent on military, so again, you wind up with global economic collapse, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right. More than likely, if you reduced <coughs> that, you know, it would take some kind of type of leveraged uh, deleveraging process for, for that to unfold smoothly. And even in a quote-unquote smooth process, there's going to be tremendous amount of fluctuation and unpredictability that you'll have to deal with when you begin to look at the our prospects. At the at this level, this is where this fatalism of we're sort of trapped in this ride, and you know maybe we can do our best to to change things or uh, you know free up lines of flight for, or something. But
2: right, you know, I mean that's that yeah, that's the I think that's the interesting thing with Deleuze and Guattari, right? In antioedipus they do talk about absolute de- de- deterritorialization, but even there, they're they are trying to like articulate the notion of. It's not the, it's not the vanguard notion of like, we need to, the, the conditions aren't ripe yet, right? It's because they, they avoid that, that pitfall and even bring it up. It's, it's more that deterritorialization always comes with risks and it's not in itself in and of itself, quote unquote, good. Yeah. Now that's obviously from a perspective of looking forward instead of a retrospective looking back, because obviously those two judgment calls are different, right? So, and I think the wager of UAC has always been more like, you know, absolute D and, you know, disregard, good or bad, because that's, those are value judgments based on a kind of a static point looking forward or backward in right. time. Right, yeah. I, which I think is biased. where,
1: and I think here's where leotard, I think especially is relevant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, I think maybe that's the whole vibe of, libidinal economy or ultimately. yeah,
2: i do i do agree with that i think so i mean i you know I'm, I'm working through discourse figure and um his his tone is so much more measured now first of all it's it's a fucking i mean this was his dissertation um basically that the dissertation in the sense of which he would have gotten access to teaching it in the university. So like so it has is, to.
1: Is this the phenomenology focused?
2: It has. Hegel-focused It does have it has, I would say more, but it, there's phenomenology in it too. He, he hasn't given that up from his first right. book. Right, yeah, um, which makes sense. But it, yes, but it does have engagements with Hegel, especially in like the second chapter. And it's interesting just to think that he went from, and I'm still working through it, but it feels yep. like he went from like writing this very serious work with a much more standard frame of view. Right. Yeah, kind of a mar- even, I mean, though, the even standard though, Marxist. I mean the discourse more than the points he's making because I do think he's making innovative points. I mean he's okay. he is he is attacking structuralism uh and talking about structuralism at a time when it is when it is overripe, right? When you yeah. he is a part of that movement of pushing structuralism into that post movement. But I meant the discourse, like the, 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 the way that which he writes, such that the distinction going from discourse figure to libidinal Economy, it's almost like Leotard did some fucking acid and just was like, <laughs> wow. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very, but some of the, some of the points do line up very nicely. And I'm trying to like keep in mind our reading of of the liberal economy book trying to keep that in mind as i read because that's really been the main focus is is trying to like see what's going on in discourse figure and and then come back to uh to the economy book so it's exciting but but i but i do think you're right about Lyotard um being i think it's interesting right like with a thousand plateaus you see Dules and Guattari like they took an experiment and then they were like all right now let's now let's make a Let's make a, an album, and I wonder if Leotard would have had that if he could have worked with someone else. If that, yeah, if him and Bojare had part- right. partnered up, that would have been cool. <laughs> right. I mean, but but there's something just there's something wild and untamed about libidinal economy that you can't so much as we try to in our recordings, so much as we try to like use DNG to kind of bring perspective to what's going on. Right. Um, in terms of the writing, in terms of the Affect that I get from reading it—it's incomparable to a certain. Extent. It, it's very much you have to go to some. You kind of have to go to some some poets, or or, or even some painters or musicians to 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 get closer to the affect I get from reading *Little Economy*. Interesting. Um, Tease that out a bit for me. I mean, what's so great about that first episode is starting as as you chose to do. You start with reading that that first paragraph which is literally two sentences. One, Mm -hmm. uh, the second sentence of which is just 10 words. But the the first sentence with with this kind of kaleidoscopic view of the body laid out and kind of flayed and splayed out there. I mean, already you're like, okay, this is going to be a fucking wild ride. You know, it's even if there are moments of derangement in Deleuze and Guattari, it's always... With a view towards a theoretical point, so the style is, in my opinion, except in certain like beautiful moments in a thousand plateaus, when they do allow themselves to make some jokes and to kind of, to kind of, do some a little bit of they they allow, but it always feels like the theory is first. The style can be they do have a style and they do write in a style, but, but it's, but it's always with an eye to the theoretical point. I feel like sometimes like Leotar is not even worried that like the theory can, can come, come again, come back later. We'll get back to that. We're, we're going into, we're, we're going to, you know, get high, fly with the civil and, and do some kind of prophetic oracular shit, whether or not it makes sense, doesn't matter. It's the channeling. It's like the vibing that matters, which is not to say that he just, writes down crazy shit you know it's it's just to say that the it always it it does feel like he's able to tap into that wildness in a way that is deranging for the reader and and is part of the and in in itself that that makes it like an aesthetic experience which which I think glitar is onto. and I think he's trying to tap into that
1: I love it I think it's very much I mean I mentioned in the one episode where this has got to be where land cribs so much of his Whole style especially like fang Numana days at least i mean you can feel the accelerationary aesthetic of the prose mm-hmm. itself right like the long sentences itself right. like i said jokingly kind of a deterritorialization of the sentence structure and very much this epic poetic style that i quite like granted i've not read that much of anti i tend to like uh, leotard's aesthetic a bit better
2: mm-hmm. well anti Oedipus is comparatively it's dry it's it's incredibly boring if you compare it to um economy i mean yeah. and it's it is eminently still kind of stuck in that old mode of of articulation now yeah. now its ideas are are, are wild and great and, right. and novel and challenging um especially to the dominant mode of thinking Certainly. at the time yeah um which still kind of I, I would assume still has a kind of dominance and 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 also it, it If you want to think about the impact of anti-Oedipus versus the middle economy in terms of like the struggles in Italy at the time or even just like it being a bestseller and having kind of uh, informing the quote unquote post 68 revolutionary vibe, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't even know a good way to know you like, yeah, anti-Oedipus had more impact but that's not what you were that's not what you were saying and, right. and, and what you yeah. were saying i totally agree with that there's something that from an aesthetic from a more yeah. purely aesthetic right, right. Uh, standpoint
1: but i mean obviously not to underscore you know if there's no anti oedipus libidinal economy perhaps doesn't get written or it's radically different it's totally hard to say it's really hard to say i mean i think you can say direct inspiration yeah. for i guess to a degree i don't know how much obviously the freudo marxian tradition is rich Hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And right. I, I think I think that you're right. I mean, like we we've hit on some of these points already. And in, in yeah, our, I, I mean, we could even consider some of this talk right now as like a Leotard. yeah, like b-side. a supplement, right? You know, this whether or not Deleuze and Guattari immediately made possible the banana economy. There's something interesting about that thought experiment because seeing what they do and how they do it, Leotard's is like, all right, I'm going to go and plug this into my own machine, and there was something that. I think that what he does is something that you see kind of crop up here and there in Discourse Figure. I mean, this is partly what I'm trying to be very sensitive to when he's talking about Marx and Kant. or not Marx. He isn't talking about Marx yet. I'm still early on. He talks about... um, He still hasn't even really talked about much about Freud. He's really like hitting on Hegel and Jakobsen and Saussure, the structuralist thinkers, and he's talking about linguistics and stuff. And he's really... hinting upon this thing that Deleuze gets into in Logic of Sense, which is this question of meaning and signification and this question of how the system of language, its interiority and exteriority in terms of the figure, right, which it tries to capture and harness representationally, yet which always overflows it or eludes it or is... Precisely the negativity that allows for like signs to you know fucking chain up together and link together and and signify. Um, We see all this shit too in liberal economy, and he's laying it out in a very straightforward way. But even even in discourse figure, you can see I almost feel like some of um you can see a little bit of the Atar's derangement, if you will, his or his just like tenacity. It has more structure in discourse figure but I feel like it's the same dogged tenacity that we see in libidinal economy. I don't know a better way to, I guess, to put it. All right, so what you got? I was just
1: looking through symbolic exchange and death because that's sort of the third and the triumvirate of this milieu of the, like we discussed, that arises. It's funny, it's like this post-68, but also the beginnings of the neoliberal era, and I wonder... I think that's an interesting point to to dig into is like the material historical circumstances that produce this writing in itself. Because I think that projects of like anti-Oedipus, libidinal economy, and symbolic exchange in death. I said this before that this is what Baudrillard is trying to do is is, a, is an anti-Oedipus style project here is what he's laying out in right. symbolic exchange in death. Yeah, this is... Uh... Picking, he's looking at anti-Oedipus and libidinal economy even though i don't know that he directly mentions leotard he does a couple there's a couple references to machinic and symbolic exchange and death neither of which is necessarily that interesting but
2: you know what's interesting maybe is look
1: and see if there's any um,
2: if i remember correctly proust uses the word machinique. so i don't think Guattari actually coined it but when i i'm just trying to remember i think this is true so Priest uses that word and the translators translate. I think they translate it as just mechanical. I don't think they try to do anything fancy with it. Like, And I believe if I look, I'll, I'll have to look back at my translation, but I believe that I modified it for that one instance. Because otherwise I just, I wanted to go with the new translation that just came out in the past 10, 15 years. So this, the, so yeah, that word, I, I'm, I, I would have to go to, there's a great little French etymological dictionary online that Wiktionary usually links to. It's, it's, it's called like, for short, I think of it just as the treasure quote unquote, it's like literally called like a treasure of, of words, which I find kind of quaint and, mm-hmm. and, and cute, but I just, I just I really just wanted to underscore that, that like, if Baudrillard use it, that that's not nothing. It's just that it's interesting that it does predate D and G
1: It's funny too that Baudrillard doesn't really get lumped in as an accelerationist, but he definitely, I think, Hmm. has that current. um, I didn't think the other day somebody, I forget who it was, but they mentioned they were reading through, I forget which CCRU book, but they were like, yeah, this reminds me a lot of uh, Baudrillard stuff. Maybe if I read, kind of curious to read this little section that has Machinic in it. Yeah, go ahead. The preceding paragraph to see maybe we can draw something. Interesting here. I did also want to look at with you a couple of pages from Delillo's book. It's um, Cosmopolis, but I'll read this first. The consummate enjoyment of the signs of guilt, despair, violence, and death are replacing guilt, anxiety, and even death in the total euphoria of simulation. This euphoria aims to abolish cause and effect, origin and end, and replace them with reduplication. Every closed system protects itself in this way from the referential and the anxiety of the referential as well as from the meta-language that the systems ward wards off by operating in its own meta-language, that is, by duplicating itself as its own critique. In simulation, the meta-linguistic illusion reduplicates and completes the referential illusion, the pathetic hallucination of the sign, and the poetic hallucination of the real. It's a circus. It's a theater. It's a movie. All these old adages are ancient naturalist denunciations. This is no longer what is at issue. What is at issue this time is turning the real into a satellite, putting an undefinable reality with no common measure into orbit, the phantasma that once illustrated it. The satellization has subsequently been materialized as the two-room kitchen shower, which we have sent into orbit to the spatial power, you could say, with the latest lunar module. The most everyday aspect of the terrestrial environment raised to the rank of a cosmic value an absolute decor hypostatized in space. This is the end of a metaphysics and the beginning of the era of hyperreality. The spatial transcendence of the banality of the two-room apartment by a cool machinic configuration in hyperrealism. Tells us only one thing, however. This module, such as it is, participates in hyperspace of representation where everyone is already in possession of the technical means for the instant reproduction of his or her own life. Thus, the Tupolev's pilots who crashed in Bourget were able by most by means of their cameras to see themselves dying at first hand. This is nothing other than the short circuit of the response by the question in the test process of instant renewal whereby reality is immediately contaminated by its Simulacrum. Simulacrum. I guess so that doesn't have a great deal of direct well, that,
2: reference. It was, I mean. scenic, but. Right, right, but it was, it was. You, it's you can very, see
1: the critique overlapping with leotard and this notion of the theater, right, or theatricality. Now, does this come out? This is 76, it, and uh, I think libidinal economy came out in 74, and then anti-arist in 72.
2: When is, uh, is simulation and simulacrum, is that, is that? Oh, that's much later. That's in like 1980. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Which
1: I think is, I mean, you can see here like in the the table of contents, he goes through (laughs) the order of Simulacra and then the three orders of Simulacra here. Right. And, you know, carries out a pretty, I think this first whole or the second chapter really lays out the critique better and more thoroughly than those kind of disparate essays that you find in Simulacra and Simulation.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I do feel like you know that we the more that i see what bojo is doing you, you do you do feel like simulation simulacra is is a kind of condensation of, of a lot of his thinking and it's fascinating to you know when i first read it i immediately tried to juxtapose it to logic of sense and there repetition because that's where de is thinking through the whole thinking through how in the sophist, you know, Plato gives us this question of the, you know, the claimants and their quote unquote, you know, hierarchizing them for who who has a a higher claim. But then at the end, um, the copy of the model themselves are called into question by Plato himself. And it kind of ends with by way of aporia, if you you want, if you want to put it that way, which is why, you know, Plato is the first to, to overturn Plato or to point the way. And so this notion of of simulacra, which doesn't go by way of the copy and, and model, I do feel like Deleuze and Baudrillard are like buddies there, you know, they're like they're thinking, but 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 of course Baudrillard, you know, takes this and runs with it. Whereas Deleuze, I think, in Logic of Sense, you know, with Lacanian phantasms and stuff, he comes to a point where he is ripe to he is ripe. Before meeting Guattari who who's you know who's who's just a little he's one of the the craziest thinkers I've ever like encountered not it, it, even in, even counting like liberal economy you know I mean I could I could easily see Guattari writing shit like that in his journal you know what I mean they're, they're two different people but Leotard's is uh, derangement if you will it's <laughs> like his delir his, his <laughs> delirium you see a lot of that too in um in Guattari and I think that it's it's all about you know it is a shame that well it's it's different right I mean like it's different you know Leotard and Deleuze both took the path of teaching quote unquote and it's not that Guattari never taught I obviously had seminars too it's just a question of the application and the, the forum right so like Harris Aid or whatever the the, the crazy little university that um Leotard and Deleuze taught at, you know, it did it did after sixty eight have a lot more freedom and a lot, I mean, as a kind of concession to the students, but Laborde was always more, I mean, Laborde just 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 a little bit that you can pick up from, even like Wikipedia shows that you don't have to read the the, the biography to to know that it was a it was a highly experimental place, right? And maybe maybe even to a fault at some points, right? I mean, like. I really do think Doss could have and he probably will come back to it. I haven't finished the, the biography, but he hints at it a little bit, but he could have perhaps gone further if he wanted to, with this question of this whole experiment of gritting out yeah. the different tasks for for people, right? So that, you know, these trained doctors are doing laundry or the laundry women are are participating in nursing and, and whatever. And it caused a lot of Tension. It caused a lot of, and was, some of it was too uh, a kind of paranoia that perhaps um, getting slated with a certain task was a, punishment, was, a punish, yeah. was a punishment. Yeah, exactly. Right. That kind of paranoia is, um, and you've you've seen this too. I mean, because I know that you've been looking through the biography as well. It's interesting that one can that that that, that in theory the the experiment is I say experiment that that in theory that. Leveling of hierarchy, that flattening, is it has communistic spirit and yeah, essence, and it's really a question of how, in practice, to um, to instantiate that. Yeah, and obviously, in the you know in the future, if if such a if labor were an experiment, everything would be automated and regulated, and some AI, you know, figure would would you know some. I'm going off. I'm thinking of the um, space odyssey. What's the you're fucking thinking ref- of, you're thinking of? Fully automated luxury. Well, that's space that's space a, communism? I mean, that's that's great. I was I was thinking of what's the fucking little um, AI in uh, in the space odyssey. Is it Hal? Oh yeah
0: yeah it? yeah
2: yeah. So you know, you're doled out your your tasks by by some seemingly auspicious or benevolent Hal, and I can imagine that itself causing a kind of <laughs> a different kind of derangement.
1: Yeah. Um, Here's the interesting dialectic is in reading the biography is like how rigid and systematized the grid itself was. The requirements to create a de hierarchy, right? you know, like yes. to re- to territorialize the labor functions requires organization and structure and etc. Right?
2: No, I, I, it is like it is kind of a Which paradox.
1: This right thing that I run into as someone who leans towards an and more anarchic spirit, you know, I don't know. I reevaluate that (laughs) quite a bit, especially like, you know, given our earlier discussion of markets as like markets are bad at being able to determine, you know, quote unquote, real value or deliver real value, but they can be useful in terms of coordinating production because there's so much in through efficiency specifically because, you know, if we're in our hundred person commune, we're trying to organize our, mode of production, what needs to be produced, do we have time to go to all hundred members of our commune and ask them how long does it take to gather the data from right, the right. commune, etc. Right? So you can begin to see where that as you scale that up, issues but you know, with a hundred people, obviously it's a lot easier than a thousand and a million and so on and so on. Right. Yes. So uh, that becomes an that becomes an issue where the efficacy of some kind of market, but at the same time markets are going to result in a disparity of resources, right? What are like hard mathematical laws and so forth? And like, is, are those even sort of a thing? Is that what Gnan or Moloch is? Mm -hmm. You know, at what, at what level are we sort of trapped into dealing with these, like sort of just because of where we stand in the evolution of, of time or history or whatever the human species or the universe or whatever you even want to, And the collective. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, yeah, that's, I I was struck by the moments in which the biography articulated Guattari's authoritarianism. I read that this morning, actually. I was, I was was very struck by that. I mean, that was, that was part of that tweet I had, I guess, about a week or two ago about like, what was his name? His, his, his eldest son, he. Bruno, right. Bruno, right. He would, he would. Lock him in his room, you know. Make him make him write in his journal and shit like that. Which I get. I mean, I, I get. It. On the one hand, I get. I mean, that's kind of like do your homework, shit like that. But yeah. on the other hand, there is something um, right,
1: especially in the context of Oedipus, right? <laughs>
2: well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there there is something edible about it. There is something the father figure is is forcing you to intellectually produce, whether it right. be nonsense or not. I mean we're talking about a a kid at the age of six i mean i get it he wanted he wanted his kids to be to be smart and to self-actualize and all of that but there is something paradoxical or at least or at least uh it's got it's a double-edged sword to yeah because if
1: you if you instill this spirit of well i'll call it de just as a right buzzword sort of but i mean i think that right gets to it right If you want this kind of person or this, right, there's going to (laughs) be, at some point, there's going to be a conflict in there, you know? If I'm trying to train you as the imperceptible,
2: et cetera, et cetera, right? Forcing you to self-actualize. Like, I think about this
1: with my own uh, training, my dog, right? Taught him how to be, like, I would rough house with him, even though he's like a tiny little puppy. I'd kind of play rough with him, you know? (laughs) I wouldn't make him open his own canned food, but. (laughs) <laughs> or sort of work out the, the mechanics of it being that he doesn't have opposable thumbs. But. Right. right.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it is interesting, but, but, you know, uh, to give Godry the benefit of the doubt to, I mean, you may have also but read that. He, that goes back to the same, I think complex of
1: that dialectic of to produce the deterritorialized. you need some sort of, te- right? Like it's a give and take relationship Yeah, like yeah to, I create, mean- to create this D um, I guess what you're trying to create with the grid it's like a multi. you're not stuck in these binary roles of blah 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 production you are a more you're not so cut up by the division of labor you can be a more actualized person in terms of your relations to production and whatever that means I don't know I don't think we have to get into the nitty-gritty articulation of is viewing our relations to the mode of production as a like that's what i think Le- leotard actually even mentions this in the in libidinal economy is mm-hmm. Baudrillard in the mirror production his critique of, of marx is specifically this in viewing the subject's primary relation to production you're simply reproducing the capitalist sort of view like right the difference you have the same bourgeois model
2: and I would I would just to be fair to Baudrillard, it does feel like Leotard doesn't say that. Maybe he implies it. Maybe if we extrapolate, because he, he is he does try to be very kind to Baudrillard, right? He's like right. he even says like our our brother. Yeah. Or maybe maybe he says my brother. I, I have to look at it again. But um I think that the one thing that he he wants to push push Baudrillard at is and, and, and maybe Baudrillard does go there later because this is obviously early Baudrillard in comparison to even yeah. symbolic exchange and death. Oh, this, sure. this, this interesting wager that Lyotard has that he already kind of articulates in the beginning of discourse figure where for him, and you, we'll see this more in like the postmodern condition and, and these other works, but it's basically like his main, if you even want to call it that critique of Baudrillard is that he still tries to salvage truth. Whether or not you put it a capital T or not, right? Oh, right. He, he he still tries to salvage kind of this it, whether and, and whether he does it explicitly or if it just kind of happens behind his back. It, he's he's still trying to kind of salvage this. We could say classical notion of truth that I think Lyotard is already engaged at in a Nietzschean way of 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 doing away with right. Um, yeah, because, because that's yeah. the
1: whole. There are no primitive societies mm-hmm. vibe where. Baudrillard's drawing from Mouse Marcel Mauss, for this anthropological critique. And Levi-Straud, yeah. right? That notion that there was once a real, and that is, and yes. that's been overcome by the procession of simulacrum. Yes. Which and, and,
2: is in, in itself kind of a reactionary. And you could lump in D&G here too with Anti-Oedipus. I mean, this is partly why you, you kind of have to talk about that text in relation to liminal economies, because, you know, they are following Pierre Claster and and this notion of this kind of these stages of societies and that, and so that, that term, they don't call it, they kind of try to have their cake and eat it too, because it's not, they don't call it primitive societies. They call it primitive territorial machine, right? There's the, there's the primitive territorial machine. There's the despotic machine, etc. Right. And so it's interesting that they both, it's kind of like an alpha bone. They're able to like to use that terminology that's, sedimented in in this sociological discourse and then kind of give it that twist that that machinic twist mm-hmm. um now whether or not that 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 bypasses leotard's critique is a totally different matter and is very interesting yeah. to to bring up and you're right i mean like i love that leotard he doesn't go deep into Rousseau, but he brings up you know this Rousseau is very interesting because he he theorizes kind of the happy noble savage. And at the same time, he shows that there is this moment that the nobility and the happiness go out the window. And it's, you know, it's when we're all seated around the fire or the, or the, the well or whatever we're singing or our songs of praise to nature, etc. And then suddenly there is this collective moment of, almost Hegelian kind of recognition where, where, where evaluations take place, prestige is accumulated and, and taken stock of. And so somebody's singing better than another, et cetera. And so there are these little hierarchies that just get instantiated in a, in a blink of an eye. And it's that moment of consciousness, that moment of like eating the, the apple from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's that moment of consciousness, just that, like it was always already there, kind of like the Erstad or, or the fucking language, right? When it's there, it's, it, it's all a, of a piece. That moment of recognition and consciousness is what brings us into the human par excellence, the fucking stage of inequality. And how that works is something that I think troubles Rousseau. That, that moment of being seen and seeing, that moment of, of feeling and being felt of these levels of prestige and hierarchy, et cetera, that will plague him throughout his life. And was why, like, even at the end, he's, he's writing about being disfigured and being not even misrecognized, like, like Nietzsche, like, have I been understood, but being disparaged, like his name's being dragged through the mud. And, um, this is why he, you know, he, he has his little, um, uh, he has this little like discourses on splitting the name Jean-Jacques and Rousseau. And, and he's, he kind of does this, he does the self splitting. So he's able to, to dissociate and all these things. I mean, it's interesting too, because Simon writes about Rousseau as kind of like Proust, like they're both these, what's the word? It's not Rousseau is asthmatic like Proust was, but that they're both, Rousseau would go to the mountains and he, he, he he became fascinated with botany and he always is talking about how the, the country air and the, and the scent of the flowers like inspires him. And so like Simon Don writes a lot about Russo being a kind of um, a pulmonary thinker, literally like being filled with, with fresh air is, is what, what kind of like inspires him and drives him. And, and one could say like, there's something similar with Deleuze and writing about the exhausted and and Proust living in the cork-lined room, you know, because of his uh, his lung capacity. And all of that, I guess, is a detour to just say, Leotard bringing up Rousseau, it's not about resurrecting, and Derrida goes into this too, it's not about re- resurrecting some origin that never was. I mean, precisely the origin is is either, a, it's a fantasy, it's it's a retrojected past that never was, yet it's still something...
1: Has material force yeah. in a sense yeah right right we still maybe have to that's where think maybe that's it. where Baudrillard's i don't know if he ever i'd have to go back and reread and see if he explicitly gets at that but yeah that is the question of this lost past this lost origin mm-hmm. and he's uniquely i mean he's definitely aware of lacan in that sense and lacan's critique of of that that sort of lost object of a uh, Unadulter, like mm. yeah, that noble mm-hmm. savage idea, right? Maybe to suture this together. I'm curious, how much DeLillo have you read? Virtually or, none. Virtually none. Been thinking about DeLillo a lot, and I think in particular two books. One for a long, long time, White Noise, because it is so, in terms of simulacra and simulation, it mm. is maybe the clearest. Like it's definitely influenced, and I'm. I wish I knew how much what DeLillo's schooling is because he seems so aware of. Hyper aware of, I think, where postmodernist poststructuralist theory is. Yeah, and not I, I, only in in White Noise, like I said, which is very much the simulacrum simulation notion, is really driven home. But also, like I was thinking about another later book, White Noise was written in eighty five. Ooh, but this one I've actually got up. It's called Cosmopolis, and it's later. Let me see when it was actually published.
2: Now, is he a novelist?
1: Yes. I was thinking about the film the other day. Mm. There's a film adaptation with Robert Pattinson that I actually watched. The book is obviously much better. It's the the movie actually is nearly like directly quoting a lot of the a lot of the dialogue from the book, which is pretty it, stilted. Yeah, it's pretty stilted as far as that goes. Okay, so Asmopolis was, was published in two thousand four. Interesting. Was it originally
2: wow. English? Yes. Yeah, he's okay. a he's an American. Okay. Okay, got you, got you.
1: Oh, that's interesting! Wow, that's amazing. Then
2: Cronenberg did the movie. Interesting. Yeah, didn't look like the IMDb uh, community had kind of reviews <laughs> no, for <definitely> it. Not. <laughs> I me mean, read. I, um, I, I take those things only with a grain of salt, but they can help you to. I mean, I tend to usually line up fairly well with IMDb
1: over. Mm-hmm. Over um, like Rotten Tomatoes.
2: Yeah, well, I, yeah. I usually just do IMDb, and uh, you know, it's it's it doesn't for a movie I've seen or for a movie that I like. I don't really give a shit what the what the rating is. But if I'm gonna venture out and to watch something, yeah. watch something completely new that I don't know oh, anything okay. about. I will be like, eh, this kind of has a five and a half. I, this might be a waste of our time. It all depends. But I mean, you you still have to take it with a bit of relative when God's not dead has a, has like a four rating or or less. I can't remember. You're like, yeah, that that's, that's actually generous. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) that's, that's a fucking awful movie. And, um, and if I did watch it again, it would have to be purely academic for like, Something like you mean you doing maybe not a watch along because it's not a Mm -hmm. really it's not an MST3K type film. Um, Not not in the traditional sense, uh, because you really do have to listen to what the fucked up shit they say. Um, You can't can't always be interjecting and talking over them. Otherwise, you won't get the, the full brunt of the humor. I mean the, the unintended right. humor, but I would also have to be very, very intoxicated. That would make it like a ten out of ten. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's all your perspective, man. Right. Anyway, yeah. So is this um is this Delilo what we're looking this at? DeLillo.
1: this is from Cosmopolis, and I want to read this because this has this is straight accelerationism here. So this is a conversation between our main character, who is presumably this, you know, he's at the heights of finance sort of very like machinic maybe like a high priest of uh of capitalism but not that's met as a metaphor right in the real world he's a hedge fund manager but right like you he's sort of this techno capitalist evangelist if you're gonna like carry that metaphor forward so it's him and his theory advisor (laughs) which is actually funny yeah yeah gotcha oh and this car which i love the glow of the screens i love the screens the glow of cyber capital so radiant and seductive I understand none of it. She spoke in near whispers and wore a persistent smile with cryptic variations. But you know how shameless I am in the presence of anything that calls itself an idea? The idea is time. Living in the future. Look at those numbers running. Money makes time. It used to be the other way around. Clock time accelerated the rise of capitalism. People stopped thinking about eternity. They began to concentrate on hours, measurable hours, man hours, using labor more efficiently. He said, there's something I want to show you. Wait, I'm thinking... He waited, her smile slightly twisted. It's cyber capital that creates the future. What is the measurement called the nanosecond? Ten to the minus ninth power. This is what? One billionth of a second, he said. I understand none of this, but it tells me how rigorous we need to be in order to take adequate measure of the world around us. There are zeptoseconds. Good, I'm glad. Yocto seconds. One septillionth of a second. Because time is a corporate asset now, it belongs to the free market system. The present is harder to find. It's being sucked out of the world to make way for the future of uncontrolled markets and huge investment potential. The future becomes insistent. This is why something will happen soon. Maybe today, she said, looking slyly into her hands. To correct the acceleration of time, bring nature back to normal more or less. The south side of the street was nearly empty with pedestrians. He let her out of the car and onto the... He was enjoying this. Teenagers on skateboards sprayed graffiti at advertising displays on the sides of buses. The styrofoam rat was toppled now, and there were police in tight formation advancing behind riot shields. Helmeted men who moved with a totalistic grimness that made Kinski seem to sigh. Protesters were rocking the car. He looked up at her and smiled. There were close-ups on TV of faces scorched by pepper gas. The zoom lens caught a man in a parachute dropping from the top of a tower nearby. Shoot and man were stripped in anarchistic red and black, and his penis was exposed, likewise logotyped. They were knocking the car back and forth. Projectiles came popping from tear gas launchers, and cops freelanced in the crowd, wearing masks with twin filtration chambers out of some lethal cartoon. You know what capitalism produces, according to Marx and Engels? Its own gravediggers, he said. But these are not the gravediggers. This is the free market itself. These people are a fantasy generated by the market. They don't exist outside of the market. There is nowhere they can go to be on the outside. Outside. There is no outside. The camera tracked a cop chasing a young man through the crowd, an image that seemed to exist at some drifting distance from the moment. The market culture is total. It breeds these men and women. They are necessary to the system they despise. They give it energy and definition. They are market driven. They are traded on the markets of the world. This is why they exist to invigorate and perpetuate the system. He watched the vodka slash in her glass as the car bounced back and forth. There were people banging on the window and hood. He saw Torval and the bodyguards sweep them off the chassis. He thought briefly about the partition behind the driver. It had a cedar frame with an inlaid fragment of ornamental Kufic script on parchment. Late 10th century, Baghdad, priceless. She tightened her seatbelt, you have to understand. He said, what? The more visionary the idea, the more people it leaves behind. This is what the protest is all about. Visions of technology and wealth, the force of cyber capital that will send people into the gutter to wretch and die. What is the flaw of human rationality? He said, what? It pretends not to see the horror and death at the end of the schemes it builds. This is a protest against the future. They want to hold off the future. They want to normalize it, keep it from overwhelming the present. There were cars burning in the street, metal hissing and spitting, and stunned figures in slow motion and tides of smoke, wandering through the mass of vehicles and bodies and others everywhere running, and a cop down, genuflected outside a fast food shop. The future is always a wholeness, a sameness. We're all tall and happy there, she said. This is why the future fails. It always fails. It can never be the cruel, happy place we want to make it.
2: I assume, is that like in the middle of the book or at the end? or? Uh, do, you, yeah, do you remember?
1: It's about two-thirds of the way through, maybe. But it's very interesting because the oh. whole action of the book takes place in this cross, cross-town trip across Manhattan. He really just wants to get a haircut, but he's got this tricked-out limousine that has you know, all this crazy technology and so forth so that he can effectively conduct his business from the seat of the limo and all these people are popping in and out right. as he's making his way across town. The president is in New York for a visit, so that is wreaking havoc on the traffic. There are protests that have broken out violently related to the president's visit, et cetera. What's crazy is how this is written in 2004 and like anticipates quite a bit, I think in terms of, you know, like an Occu- Occupy Wall Street energy in 2008, 2009, you know, that dialogue could have been something out of, straight out of Nick land, you know?
2: You're right. It, it definitely could have, especially with, although I feel like he would have made it bleaker somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he would have made it a little bit, uh, a little bit, a little bit stranger or um, maybe a little bit more Lovecraftian or something. Right. Like right. the future is precisely what, I'm trying to remember um Gary Marx is great on this. He was kind enough to discuss two major themes in the gothic, right? Which Lovecraft only, you know, you can lump him into to that, but he's obviously like in terms of the genre of the of that that type of story and novel whatever, he wouldn't fit into, you know, that um that lineage perfectly, but you know, it's a good example. I mean, he he kind of accords with this one thing that that defines or helps define the Gothic novel, which is like the protagonist comes face to face with a, a sort of outside or reality or truth, whatever. And he described it in, there is a masculine way of, a quote unquote masculine way of encountering this or, or or dealing with this encounter, which leaves the subject basically deranged or mad and able, unable to incorporate it. And virtually destroys or, you know, if not literally kills the the subject. Whereas there's a there's a feminine way of dealing with this uh, encounter, which sort of leaves the subject changed. Maybe not whole. I I mean, you you, you don't want to say that, but but at least leaves almost enhanced, if you will. Mm -hmm. So um, so obviously, like the the typical Lovecraftian tale, that's not an option. (laughs) right? Like, like you don't, you don't encounter the, um, the elder gods and sort of keep your sanity. Yeah. Not, not typically. I I, I'm not a Lovecraft scholar. I'm just, you know.
1: Yeah. Casual.
2: So this interesting way of thinking about the future, uh, like Delilo does, it's what the, what's what they're protesting against the acceleration of future, whatever, yada, yada, because it overwhelms the present. That's the interesting tension I think is this, this question of whether or not the, the future is an encounter that we can't sustain in a way that would leave us enhanced. I mean, that is part of the promise, right? This Mm -hmm. is the cruel, happy future that. Right. Yeah. We're all tall and. mm -hmm. Right. So that's the interesting thing about, about, you know, if we want to consider.
1: But also like a Lacanian notion of desire Mm. is built into this critique of the future as well, because the future never quite satisfies our vision of it. Right. There's always a lack of.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting, right? It's it's that desire desires to keep on desiring, so the object of desire is never is never going to sate it, lest we lest we lest it mean our death. I think that's the interesting thing, right? The the Lovecraftian thing, right? Is yeah. that that desire to know ultimately holds the seeds. For um. extinguishing that desire, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of Schopenhauerian too. I mean, for Schopenhauer, yeah. though, it's an it's the opposite thing. It's just it's more obviously more traditionally Buddhistic, and and we have to seek nirvana in pacifying desire because the wheel is cruel and the wheel of of time of existence, etc. If desire can be snuffed out enough, then we can get off this crazy train, whatever. And that's interesting in the yeah. context because the whole I guess the denouement of the book is
1: his own death. There you go. Yeah. And like the um there's a wager like so he's wagering on this currency trade and I believe mm. the yuan, the Chinese currency and he's making this tremendous bet that will ostensibly destroy you know is going to destroy basically his position as whom he is and the as mm. this, like preferred figure of of capital this high priest of gotcha of, of etc this notion that i mean accelerationism has been described as a theory of time that's its primary preoccupation is with time so i think that has an interesting like it's quite interesting that he's talking about these ideas
2: well it kind of brings us back to a little bit of what um you know, of what Chris brought up last time that we talked, but, you know, very quickly we talked about Brave New World and if we could fit Brave New World into, into this, I don't know whether or not we would say it's itself a theory of time or whatever, but it does deal with a kind of, a kind of accelerationism of, you know, human machinic collective assemblages and why John, the, the, the quote unquote noble savage, if you want to call him that, the happy savage, he, he has to die at the end right I mean like there is a oh yeah uh, okay there is there's is a there's a kind of oh, that's a
1: nice little
2: it's interesting right i mean his desire is to retreat from all of from the uh, in a certain from way he's
1: been all excesses of the brave new world
2: but he also retreats he doesn't just go back to the natives either that's the interesting yeah. thing right he yeah. tries to retreat from both and to the lighthouse and 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 yes yeah, to the lighthouse Obviously, a certain... that's a clear metaphor right oh yeah yeah right and um, speaking of which, I saw a great tweet yesterday, which was um, now that um, the Great Gatsby is in the public domain, I guess that gives us the green light, something like that, to to stage all kinds of productions and yada yada. It was it was a joke about the green light. I can't I, I can't even do it justice. <laughs> it sucks so bad. But the uh, I know that's not the lighthouse, but it's but it's the yeah. houses, right? The what's her name Daisy Daisy's Daisy's house being the green light, but also literally, you know. The green light, but obviously it's also symbolic and and yeah, so yeah, his 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 attempt to extricate himself, as you said, from the excesses, from desire itself, one could say,
1: from completely unst- unrestrained libidinal intensity, and that fails. But libidinal right? intensity as control mechanism—that's the interesting. Mm, yeah, servo mechanisms and thralls to libido.
2: Yeah, but this is cool. I mean, you're uh, you you put delilo on my radar. I'll have. I'll add it to the, the, the never ending list yeah, of things. To- I mean, I, I want to
1: get back more into literature this year and like maybe do some book discussion because I mean, sure. I think that's where I first kind of, that's what I kind of love about literature and I guess even films and movies is it's a way to see ideas in action through narrative and that kind of helps grasp things a little bit better or concretize or materialize theory in a way that even theory alone can't quite. oh yeah
2: i mean definitely i that's that's how i got into philosophy and all this shit yeah i mean i think that's right yeah yeah exactly
1: brave new world being one of the more
2: impactful on my
1: Mm -hmm. on me like literally yeah (laughs) that that was a wow that blew my mind
2: yeah brave new world i really really enjoyed teaching that i got to teach it a couple times. Sadly, when I was at Emory, I, I usually had to teach the ancient courses because nobody else wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it <that> makes
0: sense. <laughs> I was
2: kind of like, "Oh fuck! All right, I'll take one for the team." But you know, I I I, I enjoy teaching the ancients too. I mean, I um, when I taught Gilgamesh, I was kind of when I taught Gilgamesh, I would try to layer in stuff from Chapter Three of Anti-Oedipus because the whole tale begins with the men of the town. I guess Yurik, I think that's what it was called. They're pissed off at Gilgamesh because he's fucking all their wives, right? He gets prima nocta and he gets to knock them up. And since he's two thirds God, he's always going to impregnate them because of his super sperm. So like all of the firstborn, at least of the town are his. And so he's kind of like, I was teaching about like overcoating, right? That's the despotic regime. It's uh, yeah,
1: take all okay. the flows
2: of desire and, and overcoat and, and yada, yada. But they, okay. but they, they get pissed off. And this is why his mother conspires with the the gods. To she's also a god um, to create Enkidu, who is kind of this wild, this wild man, woman kind of interesting hybrid. And then they go and they have their adventures, and there's cool stuff that happens there too. And even you have the the kind of one of the first recorded, if not the first recorded, uh, flood stories. Right. My favorite text of all time to teach and to read, and I could talk about it forever. If I had to talk about one literary work for the rest of my life, it would be the Odyssey. So that was that's like my all time. Just always find something new and interesting um, in there, and and why I want to translate the Rieu book about the author of the Odyssey is the the young princess. Um, who wrote it instead of, instead of it being the bard Homer chanting it, which he didn't come up with. He just takes it as a thought experiment. I mean, I I think he gets it from, from Butler, I believe. Don't quote me on that. I think it's, I think Butler, if if he didn't come up with that, then, then it was around that time. I think his name's Samuel Butler. I haven't read a lot of him. I'd have to look that up anyway, but there's also Proust, right? I mean, like we did the Proust and science. Oh, we did the Proust and science stuff. We did the, obviously the machine unconscious. he, does this whole wild reading of, of of In Search of Lost Time.
1: I even though with modernist literature find it kind of even difficult, I'm very much in the vein of this minimalist style of, I mean, I don't even know what you would quite consider Vonnegut even. Vonnegut's
2: great, always great. I mean.
1: But is he like, I don't know if you'd consider that modernist or postmodernist. I, if you had of to of if version. you had to label
2: it, if you had to label it, I would say more postmodernist, even if he doesn't fit into the timeline. I guess that's one of the hard things about the modernist, postmodernist timeline. You know what I mean? Because but he's largely
1: Vonnegut is still quite humanist in his approach. Whereas mm-hmm. someone like DeLillo I think is probably less concerned about humanism. Right. And I think a, maybe that's a dividing line potentially but i i don't know i'm yeah, not I mean, that much of a literary scholar to split those hairs
2: i grew up on um, asimov and i would love to get back to reading more philip k dick the modernist po- postmodernist thing is difficult for me in terms of minimalism because you know some of the i mean
1: i guess cause, cause uh, like poetry
2: there is modernist poetry that's that's like right. minimalist and imagist and stuff so it's it's interesting i mean you know you could call proust in a certain sense you can call him modern at least giving birth to the modern novel um, i mean even
1: hemingway would be mm, fairly minimalist in his style but i think that's different from like joyce is far different joyce is not minimalism right or even proust
2: (laughs) i mean proust is minimalist in the sense of like the 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 narrative you know if if you just if you just like boil down the narrative you you could have half you know you you'd have a couple couple pages <laughs> you know i mean like it's not it's not a, a story in this in the simple sense it, it's and i think
1: a, that yeah. also for plot is secondary for vonnegut as well
2: mm, mm-hmm. but in a different way no that makes sense that that does make sense i did some research a couple months back looking at proust and if Fitz, fitzgerald uh, was influenced by proust because i see a lot of similar themes and in, in some of Fitzgerald's uh, stories, obviously in *The Great Gatsby* with uh, with Proust, but uh, you know, it's the article was basically like, "There's no definitive evidence that he did." But hey, let's think about these two yeah. great authors together, and and that's fine to me because that's kind of yeah. Um, so I kind of scanned the article; it was very it was very interesting because you know it's hard to it's hard to talk about the the novel in the 20th century, at least in English or French or in in west in the West without without Proust having some, <laughs> at least some like big footnote. This notion of
1: coding too is something that's big in Baudrillard. And I wonder how much similarity or co-evolution there is with Deleuze and Guattari's dis- discussion of coding, overcoding. And I've actually got this little section from ex- uh, symbolic exchange and death. The subsection is the metaphysics of the code.
2: Coding was, and not just in terms of like computer code too. I mean, right. like With the discovery of dna with what was that in the 60s late 50s can't remember like
1: i want to say watson and crick was like 54.
2: yeah something, something like that i i believe that it's it's around there um that was kind of as important in a certain sense for theoretical reflection as the developments of quantum mechanics einstein's theory of relativity and all of this which has a huge influence on 20th century philosophy there you go late in the 50s so that's why I think. I mean, in Antietas, the they talk about not not Watson and Crick, but they talk about um, a pretty famous French biologist, philosopher guy. They get s- some of the stuff that they talk about. And Guattari himself, in in a seminar, he kind of sums it up. Really interesting to to say that like. What's fascinating about DNA and the replication is that there's like part of the chain, part of the code is always just like free for variation. It's not even, it's not, it's not essential to the replication process. It's just uh-huh. kind of, there's always this little reservoir or surplus that, that that's, that's kind of free floating. And, and he's like, hey, this is fucking crazy. Like this, this idea of um, this is how it works, that there's this, there's this extra that can be free for for variation and he finds it wild and kind of schizo and like <laughs> beautiful <laughs> so is this is this bojo again yeah some, okay
1: yeah this is a section from chapter two metaphysics of the code
2: indeterminacy in the code so yeah that's part of the that's part of what water is fascinated by that indeterminacy so yeah i
1: guess even with the four the four basics basic acids and the phosphate chains the amount of variation that can arise is pretty incredible.
2: Yeah, I saw, I saw a fascinating picture. Somebody retweeted some entomologist who was showing the picture of a certain ant species. There are tons of ant species. I was fascinated to find this out. I don't know if there are millions, but they're, it's one of the most prolific insect, at least in terms of our cataloging. Obviously, we haven't. there's still tons of species, animal and otherwise, that we haven't. Categorized, but this one ant species showed the worker ant, and then it showed the queen, and just it's the same DNA code, but the disparity between those two is one of what his point was basically like. This is the one of the the most striking visually disparities between between the well, really, I mean, you could say size, but obviously structure too. I mean, right, and and function. So there's something fascinating to be explained about that type of diversity even in even within the same code. I mean,
1: even thinking about what we have ninety-nine point ninety-nine percent overlap in DNA with, you know, whatever creature. I know
2: chimpanzees are supposedly our closest DNA relative. Is that correct? I believe
1: I, I believe so, but I think even something like a fly has
2: mm-hmm. something like
1: seventy-eight percent of the same genome, or something?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe it. It's it's very. Actually, let's look at let's look at that, just to see how far off I was. No, I mean, and and then if you even go to a chemical level, you were just talking uh, let's about. Let's
1: look at humans and bananas. That's <laughs> a very okay. So even bananas still share about sixty percent of the same DNA as humans.
2: If you think about how much life. Is water, right? I mean, how much how much water makes up whether we do it by mass or, or just number of molecules or whatever. There's that's always fascinating, especially the brain, right? I mean, there's a forget what the book's called. It's about I think there's something about wet work, right? That like we're all all of our cells are little computers and shit, which is analogically you could probably take it to a point where it's nonsensical, but 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 in the big picture thing of it, it's it's fascinating to think about that. One day I'll have to um try to re- retweet that uh that Lara Wall thing. If if we if we do more Lara Wall stuff, I'll have to try to get
1: Yeah, well I definitely that. do we should do an episode soonish.
2: Do you have any final final thoughts? Do you feel like this was a nice little, little chunk?
1: Yeah, no, I think it was uh it was good. I like how we kinda came back around Baudrillard, Lyotard. Le- oh yeah Les and Guattari.
2: That's still kinda fresh on our brains, right? I and mean, then coming I mean,
1: back around, yeah. Coming uh, like back the, around with the noble savage discussion. <laughs>
2: yeah, sure. yes, that was. I think that was on point. It was a. It was really good.
0: The very roots of evil, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is outcast, scattered, change to the world state of things, the pure violence without object. This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. that recycled, whitewashed, lobotomized people as in blockwork work orange.